there's more to this life than I thought. And James inspires me. The things he says have encouraged me. It's like there's a walk, there's a path, and it's leading to something more real than I've ever known before, and it's exciting. I get around James and I hear things that help me in my life, my work. This work he talks about has become my work. I am excited about the possibility that other people could be affected, other people could be inspired to work on themselves, to grow, to, to realize there's more to this life. The work has a somewhat unique view of man as a self-developing organism, an unfinished house, that one of the similes, one of the analogies that it uses, that we're really an unfinished house, that it's been started, but it still needs to be finished. Now, those of you who have been in construction for years understand that standing up the walls and doing all these plating and standing up the walls and then sheeting and things, they all go very, very quickly compared to, so that, so we, it's like, it's like we put a house up in no time at all. You know, you stand the walls and it's like, wow, and you put the rafters in and you, you just tie things together with beams and it's all up there and, and the little workers are up there doing the plumbing line and things and it doesn't look like much because then people are sheeting and doing all this other stuff and all this stuff is happening and it goes so quickly. It looks like it goes so quickly. And then all of a sudden, here's this house standing here, but inside it's like gutted. You know, inside it's waiting, you know, the windows are on now, but inside it's waiting for the sheetrock and the mutters and the tapers and the painters and the finished car carpenters and the you know and all this finished plumbing and stuff and it just all of a sudden grinds to this oh let's not forget the electricians and the fixtures <laughs> sorry steve the electricians and the fixtures and all of that stuff you know there's a lot that goes into the initial bit where they're doing that while the after the walls are stood and that before that stuff goes on they're drilling holes and running wire and doing things like that but once it's covered and you can't see the inside of the house from the outside all forward progress looks like it stops and people just get to that stage and you know homeowners will get to that stage where they look at it. it's like well how come it's not done when, when is it going to be finished they get antsy they start to get why is it taking so long why when can we move in well you can't move in because it's not ready well but it looks ready and seeing that's us we are an unfinished house from the outside it looks fine from the outside, it looks finished. So people go around, they look at other people, they, they go, oh, well, they look finished. That's a good person. You ever notice that, how you judge people by the way they look outside? It's like, well, he's got a car and he's got a house and he's got, got money and he smiles and he shakes hands with people. He's got friends. He, he's finished. And we go under this illusion. But the truth is the work says, no, you're an unfinished house, as it were. And that can only be completed by work on yourself. And it has to be by yourself. You have to do the work because you're a self-developing organism. So perhaps all this other stuff was thrown together for you by contractors or by subcontractors. They all came in and wham, bam, and they slapped this all together. And it's, wow, it looks great. And now you're ready for life. But that's all life requires of you. It's just that exterior. But now you find that you're hollow inside. You find that you don't have everything you need. That, that life thinks you're just fine. And that you can think you're just fine for a while. But then you start to go and look for some of the amenities that are supposed to be there, and they're not there. And you either imagine that they're there, and you live without them, or the fortunate few realize this isn't finished. There's something else needs to happen. Those, these are the people with magnetic center. And so they then begin to get ideas that there's a possibility of taking this house a lot further. This house has three stories with many rooms, according to what the work teaches. Our condition is that we live in the basement and know very little or nothing of the other stories and rooms. We're comfortable in the basement. This is where we've always been. We don't even know there's an upstairs. This is it. Until magnetic center is sparked, until something falls into magnetic center, we haven't a clue, really. We just live in the basement of ourselves, and, and it's fine. Everyone else we know is living in the basement of themselves. But then you meet somebody who's not living in the basement of themselves. And if you don't totally reject them out of hand, 
if you are not offended by them. What happens when people meet someone who's not living in the basement of themselves is they are offended. That's the very first reaction that people have, one of offense. They think this person is offensive, and they are offensive. They are offensive to our worldview. They are offensive to our image of ourselves, our pictures of ourselves. And if you can survive the offense of meeting a person like that, Something could happen in your life. That doesn't mean it will, but something could happen in your life. There is suddenly now a possibility of your own evolution, a possibility of you seeing that you are not properly conscious and you could become properly conscious. That this person, they somehow know something that you don't know. They somehow have a connection with something that you do not now know you have a connection with or you have no connection with, but you would like to have a connection with. And then, if you can find your place in the great ray, if you can find your nothingness, if you can allow something to be higher than you, if you can make this huge leap in consciousness from thinking that you are God to thinking that you are not, if you can do that, if you can let someone else be higher than you, there is a possibility of you awakening. I know this probably sounds grim in some ways, but it is so true. I mean, I am not lying to you about this. This, It is that bad. Your condition is that bad. Your state is that low. And this just does not go along with what we imagine about ourselves. And the world will not support this. What I'm saying is offensive. And I understand this is offensive. And if you can bear the offense, it's just like Lori and her arm. If you can bear the scrubbing, then that can be taken out. And you don't have to go through life with those scars. If you can't bear the offense, you will go through life with those scars. And you will go through life then thinking, I missed my chance, like Lori's doing now. I missed my chance. You haven't missed your chance. You could always fall down again and rip that arm up again and get it all torn up and scrub it out because you never know what the work's going to bring you you never know what kind of an opportunity you're going to have oh boy i could fall down again and scrape my arm up that would be wonderful no of course it wouldn't be wonderful would it but there are other ways of getting to old associations and old wounds and old problems there are other ways and we don't have to know what they are all we have to know is that there is something higher and that we can contact it and that it can make a difference in our life That's what we have to know. Now, does that take faith? Yes, it takes a certain kind of faith, not the kind of garbage they sell in churches today, not the kind of ridiculous, wishy-washy trash that they're peddling, not that phony hope that people live in hope and die in despair. There is a real hope and there is a real faith that belongs to the real world. And there is a fake hope and a fake faith that belongs to the fake world, the false world, the world in which we are now living. And this is the world in which you have to live. You have to be in the world, but not of it. You have to somehow pull your identity of yourself out of this world and get that identity of yourself into this other world, this real world. That's a long process. That's called transformation. But you can do it with help. In fact, you can't do it any other way. So as we are, we live in eating and drinking. We live in the moving center. We live in the sex center. This is how we are. These are the most important things to you. If I touch any of these areas, you will be offended. And the proof of that is every time I've touched any of these areas, you have been offended. If I talk to you about your sex life, you're offended. If I talk to you about what you eat, your diet, you're offended. If I talk to you about what you do, you're offended because you think I'm trying to take something away from you and you're offended. And that tells me, and it should tell you if you're paying any attention at all, that you are living in eating and drinking, moving center, and a sex center. This, as you can see, is a very low place. It is what the work calls the basement. 
barely above the other animals which do not have reason. The dogs are interested in eating and drinking. The dogs are interested in sex. The dogs are interested in the moving center. When you're like that, you're like a dog. And this is why Gurdjieff said, if you don't do this work, you will die like a dog. Now, I don't know that he said it just that way. If he did, people didn't pass it along that way, did they? Somehow it all got passed along and it's a little softer, isn't it? How did it get softer? I don't understand this. Could it be that this is the action of what this is what happens? Sea influence comes in and immediately life starts eroding it and taking off the edges so that it's not so offensive and turns it into B influences. And then it keeps working on it, keeps working on it until it's finally A influences. Is that what happens? Uh, could that have happened to the work? Oh, of course, I'm going to burn in hell for saying that. But it's okay, because that hell is a great place, and that's where I want to be. I want to be burning in hell, because the flames will purify me, and the flames will crystallize me, and that's what I want. So fine, throw me in hell, I'll burn there. And you stand on the edge and roast marshmallows or weenies or whatever you do. That's your business. But for me, I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to walk through the flames. I'm willing to be tossed into the furnace. I'm willing to walk into, I'm willing to jump into the abyss, because I see that the house is on fire. So what, you jump out of the frying pan into the fire? Fine. To me, that's better than just sitting in the frying pan waiting for it to get you. It's like, fine, I'll just jump. At least I'm doing something. And who knows? Maybe there will be a rope. Maybe I will catch hold of it. Maybe I will be able to pull myself up out of it. And if not, maybe that rope is fireproof. And I'll just be able to hold on to it and pull myself and have it pull me through the flames. Maybe there will be something that will survive. And if nothing survives, then there was nothing worth surviving. Then it was all false. So then so be it. But whatever is real about me will be delivered to me in the flames. It will not be delivered to me in bed. You know, I'm not going to get breakfast in bed. If it's going to be delivered to me, it's going to be delivered to me through the flames. You got to get this straight in your own mind because this is the way it is. The simile continues saying our house is out of order. There's no master. There's one phone, one internet connection, one credit card, which all the servants use in the absent master's name. I think I talked about this the other day and, you know, this little eye gets to the phone and he makes a call and he speed dials, boom, he speed dials the liquor barn and he places an order and he gets his order in and, and then he reads the credit card number and the, the delivery guy from the liquor barn starts on the way and then some other eye comes and grabs the phone from him and he calls the deli and he wants meat and he wants this and another one comes up and, you know, and they're all doing this and all these guys, all the delivery trucks are on the way and so here you are, you know, and it's all this stuff's being delivered and the eyes that are collecting, the eyes that are at the door paying the bills and doing all this stuff. They don't know anything about it. What I just got in there on the phone and did that. They don't know. It's like, where's all this stuff coming from? What's, what all is all, what is all this? And this is your life, people. This is your life. How did this, ha how did this happen to me? Why does this happen to me? I, what did I do? Your being attracts your life. What being? What are you talking about? I didn't do this. I did nothing to, to get all this. Why? Why is this happening to me? Does this sound familiar? Does this happen in your head? Is this, is this what screams in your own mind? If it doesn't, you need to pay attention to what's going on in your head because that is what's going on in your head. If you're so asleep that you don't know that yet, well, begin to observe yourself. Begin to observe yourself. You will see that it is there. Well, you're just putting those thoughts into my head. Well, yes, that's true. I am sowing ideas into your head, real eternal ideas. There will either be a place in you called Magnetic Center that will accept them and look at them and start to treasure them and protect them, or there won't be. That's how that'll work. And if there won't be, you won't be listening to me next week. And if there will be, you'll be back here next week and the week after that. And not only that, you'll become addicted. You'll say, oh my God, how could I live without this? Where would I go? We were talking about this the other day, and I said something about my unconventional methods, and Rick said, yeah. I said, well, what are you going to do? And Rick said, where are we going to go? Just after an experience going to his granddaughter's program, his granddaughter was in at this big church, this super church, with TVs and professionals 
professional rock bands and things and, you know, and what, cheerleaders and the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders were there with their pom-poms and stuff, you know, rah, rah, rah for Jesus and their short little tops and their bouncy stuff. And it's like, Jesus, Jesus, rah, rah, rah. Everybody stand up for Jesus, Jesus, rah, rah, rah. And, you know, and they're like going, oh, my God, what is this? Is this science fiction? You know, they're like totally, completely blown away by this. It's like, oh, my God, we had no idea that the electronic world had taken over, that now the church is just this huge franchise that you buy a franchise and you get all this stuff and you get this manual, this book on how to run it and how to get the how to keep it going and how to basically fleece the sheep. They have commercials going on these big screens everywhere, commercials about what they're doing and how you how much it's going to cost. And, and then they play this music when they say, you know, you need to give money. And they're playing all this, you know, music to inspire you to open your wallet and to write your check out. And it's like, oh, my God, these two are sitting there like, oh, my God, I can't believe this is happening. But it is happening and it's happening all over the world today. And when you start to see that and then you see this, you go, oh, hey. <laughs> you run away from that and you run toward this. But when you start to see this, when you come out of that and you see this, it's just the opposite. It's like somebody wrote to me and said, well, the things that you write and talk about make us want to run away as fast as possible. And see, now you have been spoiled. So you go to those other places and you go, the things that I saw there, the things that I heard there made me want to run away as fast as possible. And where do you want to run? You want to run to something that you know is more real. You want to run to something you know will really do something. It will give you something real. It will give you a real purchase inside of yourself, a real toehold, a real handhold, a real something that you can begin to really work. That is what this is. And you either get it or you don't. And if you don't, you're gone. And if you do, it's hard to shake people loose. You know, I've tried and I still try. I tell people all the time, hey, look, hit the road. Nobody's got you chained to a chair here. You don't like it? Go. I'm not doing this to make this thing, this big, important church or whatever, this big organization that I'm just not doing it for that reason. That's not what I'm into. I don't care about that. So I don't care if there's only one person here. There's one person here who wants to work. I'm going to be here and I'm going to work. And that's that. So what can be done under these circumstances? All these the credit cards being used, the bills are mounting, chaos ensues, and repetition is the end result rather than development or betterment. All these little eyes are doing all this. What do we do about this? What can be done? An observing eye must be established. And this is what we were talking about this morning. You've got to find some eye that is willing to do this work. That eye needs to be appointed as the observing eye. Okay, you're the one we're going to trust with this. We're going to give this work to you. So you find the work, you find this book. Let's call it a workbook. Find this workbook and you give it to this observing, this eye. And you say, you are the observing eye. You are the keeper of this. You are going to observe everything that's going on in here according to what this book tells you. That's where we start, according to what you're told. That little observing eye becomes a rallying point for other eyes that wish to work. That in this work is called deputy steward. That's what it's called in this work. In other things, it's called other things. For example, in Matthew chapter 24, I'll just read a little bit of this, verses 42 through 41, I think it'll be. And it says, therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. Okay, so this is the simile to the house. The master's away. The master's absent. So the Lord of the house is absent. And all these other eyes are in charge, but it's chaos because none of them are doing what they're supposed to be doing. They're all doing whatever it is they want to do because the master's been gone so long, there's nobody running anything. So what happens is they get on the phone and they start making these calls. They use the credit card. They do all of these things and they're doing it willy-nilly. There's nothing to stop them. 
And so what you do is you appoint. So, so this says, therefore be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. You see, your house has been broken into. Life has broken into your house. And all of these little eyes are acquired and they're all out of order and they're doing whatever they want. And there's no one to tell them what to do. There's no one to bring order to this. But if the head of the house had known, well, the head of the house here is deputy steward in the work. The head of the house is deputy steward. The master is gone. We're sure of that. But the head of the house, if the head of the house had known what was going on when the thief was coming, he would have been able to do something about that. So we haven't had an observing eye ahead of the house. We need to make one. For this reason, you be ready to. That's what this says. For this reason, you be ready to. This is good advice. You be ready too for this reason. This is a stage that must be reached in the transformational process the work calls development of a new man in oneself. This work says you must develop in yourself a new man. Well, what is that new man? That's the incredible thing about this. We don't know. All we know is that it's something that arises out of this old man, this man that we now are, this thing that we now are, this this jumble of insanity that we now are, that there is something that will arise out of that if we do what we need to do. It's preceded and accompanied by much self-remembering, much separating from negative emotions and non-identifying. This must be practical work or nothing real can happen. It can't be imaginary work. It must be real practical work or nothing real is going to happen. All life on this planet shows us that esotericism has always existed in some form because this is our meaning, this is our purpose. Why has esotericism always existed in some form on this planet? Because this is our meaning, this is our purpose, and we have lost that. We have lost the recognition of that. So we need to essentially re-know this. We need to recognize this. That's what recognize means. To recognize means to re-know. We must essentially re-know this. This is what we have to start working on. We have to start working on re-knowing this. We only see a sliver of Earth's real history because it's been wiped clean so often. All we have now is a few thousand years recorded and then nothing but myth, ceremony, ritual. You know about the fire, the great library in Alexandria in Egypt. There was a fire and all of so much was lost. It really was a horrendous blow to science, to art, to mankind. A horrendous blow because there was nothing else. There was nothing else recorded. There, that was it. And it was all burned up and it was lost. And we essentially had to start over again, which when you think about it, isn't really that cool. We have to redo that now. And this is what happens. Humanity resets every once in a while. We have no idea how many times this has happened. This right here that we're doing now. We have no idea idea how many times people have had computers, people have done all this, that all this infrastructure was here. We have no idea. And then it was all just wiped clean like the dinosaurs. We don't know that. And there's so much that we don't know, but we pretend that we know everything. We pretend that we know everything. We pretend that our science knows everything. And when we discover things, we go, wow, who would have thought that? Because we weren't allowed to think that. So that's kind of where we're at. Our condition is that we are part beast, part man machine with potential to discover and realize our true purpose and real meaning. So when I say part beast, part man machine, I mean that literally. You are a three-brained being and you have a reptilian brain, a mammalian brain, and then this other brain that we don't really use much of, that we haven't really delved into much. But what we, where we live is in the reptilian brain, and which is the basement, and the mammalian brain, which is kind of like going up the steps. But it's still not out of the basement in my opinion. And maybe it is. I don't want to be too uh, strict about that. 
As we are right now, we're as violent as jungle beasts living under nature's laws with the potential for reason and possible evolution. As we are, what drives us is sex, food, and the things connected with that, and all those other things I talked about that are the sex center, the moving center, the eating and drinking. That's what drives us. And that is all driven by life. That is nothing whatever to do with you. That's driven by life. You don't think about things until you see them. You see something in life, you immediately start to lust. That's 86% of your lust starts with your eyes. You see something out there and you start to desire it. That's what happens. So you have got to somehow deal with that. You've got to somehow come to terms with that. This work can help you do that if you are sincere and if you're willing to see where you are and then do something about it. We must overcome this violent man, this machine beast in us. And this is the point of all esotericism. The point of all esotericism is to drop the rope down and give you the opportunity to take hold of it and climb out of this jungle hut climb out of this basement, to get up out of this into something higher, because you were meant to live in something higher. You were designed to live in something higher. The cat lying there asleep on that chair now is not designed to live in something higher. That cat is designed to live where it lives, and that's why it does it so well. You, on the other hand, are designed to live in a different place, but it, but you can still live where the cat is. You can still live by your instincts. You can still live by the sex center and the eating and drinking and the moving center. You can still live there, or you can open up up something higher and move into that, which takes effort. We're like cavemen covered in animal skins. The animal skins are our negative emotions that always lead down to violence, killing, hating, skull cracking, taking the lives and rights of others to wrap around ourselves. See, we skin other people. We're wearing animal skins, but people are animals too, you know. We skin other people and we wear their skins. Oh, this is barbaric. Oh, we don't do that. We're not like that. No, 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 we're not like that. Men go out and club to death baby harp seals for their fur. Why? Well, because it's profitable. Because they can get sex, they can eat, and they can drink, and they can have things for the moving center. That's why. Well, what about the life? Well, what about it? It's lower than me. It's just an animal. I have dominion over it. Therefore, I have the right to kill it. It's like Patty and I had a little discussion last night. We were at dinner, and the cat was sleeping on her chair. And Lori went to get another chair for Patty to sit on. Patty didn't want the other chair. She wanted the chair that the cat was on, so she threw the cat off. And I said, what gives you the right? What gives you the right to treat another sentient being like that? And of course the answer is, I'm stronger, I'm smarter, I can dominate that animal, and I can kill that animal if it offends me. That's what gives me the right. In other words, might makes right. That is the law of the jungle. You wish to live there, that's your business. I do not. I will not do that. I wish to live under fewer laws, better laws, higher laws. And so I strive for that. You, on the other hand, don't. You strive to justify your lower laws and to have your meat and eat it too. You want to have your way and you don't care who dies for you to get it. That's the truth. When you want to talk about sincere, look at that sincerely and stop justifying it. Start telling the truth about it. Start telling the truth about what you are, a violent man who will do harm to anything that gets between you and what you want. All this binds us to the material world that imprisons us and keeps us on the repetitive wheel of cause and effect. As self-developing organisms, we have the right not to be negative. Animals have no such rights. A cat can't be negative or not be negative. A cat doesn't have a choice about that. A cat isn't negative when it kills a bird and eats it. It's just instinctive. It's just doing what it's programmed to do, just like you do when you're down there. You are no different. You're like that animal. You're living in the instinctive, mechanical parts of yourself, little, small, mechanical parts of yourself. And you can do that. You have the right to do that. What I am saying and what this work is suggesting is you have the right not to do that, which is even more important than your right to do that.
They must obey the laws of the jungle because they have no possibility of connecting with higher emotional center. You have that possibility. If we can overcome violence in all its forms of negative emotions, something else is bound to arise. I promise this. This is what the work promises. This is what all esotericism has promised for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. It's like the phoenix that can fly out of the ashes. It's like something can rise up out of the man-machine beast that's clothed in animal skins. What kind of being eats an animal alive? I mean, we don't like that, do we? No, we like our meat dead before we eat it. We think it would be barbaric to eat an animal alive, don't we? You think it would be barbaric to go out and grab a chicken and bite its head off and drink its blood and eat it. You think it would be barbaric to do that, don't you? Yeah. And see, it's like, what kind of an animal does that? Well, all kinds of animals do that. All kinds of animals do that. We're just drawing a line. The same kind that eats one that's died or that is killed or has had killed for itself. The same kind of animal. There's really no difference. What's the difference? One's alive and one's dead. What's the difference? They end up both the same. Why? Because you wanted it. That's why. This is not a talk about vegetarianism, incidentally. I don't care what you eat. You, you want to eat each other. You want to be cannibals. Go ahead. That's your business. Surely, an objective look at this, without the self-rationalization of meeting imaginary imaginary needs makes it clear this is a lower animal and not a new man. If you can't see this, you don't want to see this. If you don't want to see this, that's your business. Live where you want to live. I'm not asking anyone to do anything against themselves. If this is who you are, then do this. This is not a requirement of the work. It's not a requirement of mine. I have my personal feelings about this. I have my personal work about this. That is personal. That has nothing to do with you. I do not require you to do anything that I do. I ask you to observe yourself. I ask you to be sincere and genuine with yourself. I ask you to listen with an open mind and an open heart. I ask you to see your nothingness and understand that there is something higher and that that is your hope. That's what I ask of you. You take it or leave it. Do it or not. That's your business. But I have no requirements of you. I will work with you wherever you are. If you're out in the jungle biting heads off the chickens and eating them, that's your business. If you wish to work, I will work with you. Just don't invite me to dinner. I do not speak of eating the flesh of other animals. I speak of us eating the flesh of our fellows through our hatred and our negative emotions. I'm not a reformer or a judge. I'm a mouthpiece for the work trying to lift up the standard for all of us. I'm trying to hold this work up high. I found this light and I want to put it on the lampstand so that all of us can benefit from it. If that's offensive to you, if you don't like the light, then turn away. But don't try and break the light. Don't try and take it down because I will stand between you and it. And trust me, I can be fierce. So have it your way. It's up to you. This is self-development. The real realm of the miraculous is that we put forth such effort and it point us toward the conscious circle of humanity where we begin to receive force beyond our efforts. This is the real work, people. When we finally get to that place where we make the kind of effort that points us in the direction of the conscious circle of humanity and moves us toward it, and they begin to draw us to them with their force. And our efforts become magnified by their efforts. It's synergistic, actually, and I hate the word, but there it is. We're working to realize the new man, the new being that can arise out of the old, out of the savage, being limited by so many orders of laws, 96 orders of laws. When you're negative, you're under 96 orders of laws. If you can drag yourself up out of that negativity, then you're under 48 orders of laws. If you can start to do this work and learn how to transform incoming impressions, you can be under 24 orders of laws. If you continue, you can be under 12 orders of laws. That is paradise for us compared to where we are 
where we live. That is heaven. That is the new Jerusalem. That is paradise. That's all you need to know. It is so far beyond anything that we know now. It is so high up in the house that the basement looks like a dungeon compared to that. You get it? Our meaning is completely different from the meaning of the rest of the organic film coating earth, of which we are currently a part. Now, we are incomplete houses, locked in the basement of ourselves like dogs who've not been house trained. We can't really get up into the house because if we do, we fight. We tear up the furnishings and we foul our own nest. Look at the earth, our nest, and what we are doing to it. Is this not beastly, short-sighted, and mechanical? The pollution in the air, the filthy streams and rivers, the oceans dying right before our eyes. We're pouring chemicals and pollutants into all of it still, and that there have to be government officials, there have to be enforcers who go around and try and catch people doing this and stop them. What is that if it's not total insanity, if it's not total beastly animal behavior? This is not the new man. The good news is that you don't need to be run by life like an animal or like a plant or like the rest of the organic film on this planet. Until the work finds us, we are lost in life, wandering in the weeds, doing what we find to do like brute beasts, living in the basement of our own possibilities. It's an interesting thing. This is nothing new that I'm saying. is nothing new. This is thousands of years old. Listen to this. This is something from the book of Daniel, chapter 4, verses 28 through 37. It says, All this happened to Nebuchadnezzar, the king. Twelve months later, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. The king reflected and said, Is this not Babylon the Great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and the glory of my majesty? Now, just look at how we look at the world. Is this not America? Is this not the Internet? Is this not this? Is this not that? And didn't we do this? Didn't we do this by our own majesty and our own might and our own intelligence? Isn't this what we have done? This is what we boast. While the word was in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared sovereignty has been removed from you, and you will be driven away from mankind, and your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field. You will be given grass to eat like cattle, and seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. Immediately the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled, and he was driven away from mankind and began eating grass like cattle, and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. But at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever. And His dominion is an everlasting dominion. And His kingdom endures from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. But He does according to His will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. And no one can ward off His hand or say to Him, What hast thou done? (laughs) So, you know, for like the religious people, that's, Oh, they get all sentimental and, Oh, our God's a mighty God. Our God is an awesome God. That's not what we're talking about here. And for the anti-religious, we're not talking about that either. So both of you have missed the boat. What we're talking about is the new man. What we're talking about is your nothingness. What we're talking about is something higher than you and the possibility of that something reaching you and you connecting with it and it pulling you up out of the basement of yourself, pulling you up out of the animal of yourself, pulling you up out of the machine of yourself, pulling you up out of the base of yourself, taking this base 
thing and alchemically changing it into something fine and divine. That's what we're talking about. That's what this work is about. That is what I'm doing here. All this stuff that I have around me, these books, these Bibles, this, that, all this stuff, all they are is stepping stones to this. You must do it. You must do it. You can't sit here or there in some church and wave your hand and give your money and say, Oh, Jesus is going to save me. You can't sit in some fourth-way group and say, Oh, this teacher is descended from Gurdjieff himself, and he has the true word, and that's going to help me get there. You can't do that. You can do it, obviously, but you're not going to progress. You're not going to go anywhere, nowhere real, because it's imagination, because this is self-development. You are a self-developing organism, and you must develop yourself. It's wonderful that you look to me, and I can give you a boost. I can hold my hands together like this, and you can put your foot in there and act like a stirrup, and I can give you a boost up, but you still must take that rope, and you still must make the effort to climb. And I can boost you along the way, too, but you still must do it. The unfortunate thing is, when you get those boosts, they're very real, and you know that being here made a difference. It's like something happened inside of you, something changed inside of you, but you can't continue to depend just upon that. You must work also, because the house is on fire. The jungle hut is burning, and you need to get out of it, and the only way out is up. So here we are. When we raise our eyes toward heaven, in other words, toward the absolute, or raise our eyes toward what's up there in the great ray of creation, our reason will begin to be restored to us, and we will see and work and develop and overcome. It's like the prodigal son. He's feeding the pigs. He looked down there, and he wanted to eat the pig's food. Then he looked up, and he remembered himself. He came to himself, and he said, My father's servants eat better than this. What am I doing here? I'll go back to my father, and I'll say, Look, I've sinned against heaven against you. I'll work as your servant. Give me anything. Give me anything to do. I'll do anything. That's where you need to be. Not, Well, I'm the Lord of everything, and I tell people what to do, and I, it's my majesty that's done all this. That's not the right approach, people. The right approach is finding your nothingness and living in that and living from that. We must work at developing an increasing consciousness of ourselves. We are not interested in the excruciatingly long process of mechanical evolution. We can work. You can just sit back and live out your lives. No doubt there is a mechanical evolution. No doubt. The wheel is turning. There's no doubt about that. Do you really want to wait that long? Do you really want to keep doing this again and again and again? If you do, you have no place here. You should get back out there and do that. The fact that you're here tells me you don't want to do that. We have the means, and if we make these efforts sincerely through our own understanding, not someone else's understanding, you can't make these efforts through my understanding, by imitation, parroting. You can't do this work through someone else's understanding, the Coles or Gurdjieff's or Ospensky's or anyone else or Bennett or anyone else. Our level of being will change. It must change. It's easy to complain about your life. It takes no effort whatsoever. We can all imagine different circumstances. That is not what this work teaches. The circumstances in which you find yourself are tailored perfectly for you, for you, intimately, perfectly, without flaw or mistake, by your very own being. This is a very difficult thing to accept, but you must accept this because it is the truth. Your second force is like no other person's second force. It is your second force. It will give you the best possible results when you accept it and begin to understand the perfection of it. If only is for fools of the lowest order, lunatics and tramps. Open your hearts and hands to this work and receive the gift of life it offers you. Not life as a brute beast living in the basement, but life as the master of the house, the whole house, and all that that means. You are self-developing, and you must make conscious effort against your life circumstances so you can never again be dragged off into the basement or jungle by negative emotions. The one thing that you have is this. We can work. 
Regardless of the circumstances, we can work. We have the tools. We have the technology. Now, you must work. Often the practical application of these ideas sounds like it's going to be easy. The ideas sound great. When we actually run into a situation or a person who's being a little more difficult than we'd like, we find it's not as easy as we thought it was going to be. If you've hit a snag with some aspect of this work and its practical application in your everyday life, I invite you to write James at SolidRockVista.com. Sometimes a fresh perspective is all it takes to get us back on the right track.